Welcome to the Providence Church Podcast. This is the third message in our ongoing series about David. In this episode, Pastor Chuck recounts David's posture towards Saul and what we can learn from their behavior towards one another. For more information about us, check out our website at provchurch.net. That's P-R-O-V-Church.net. Let's get into it. You know, whenever I begin a Bible study or some new lesson with a new group of people, I often ask the question, what is it that you want? What is it that you want? And I'm asking you that question this morning. What is it that you want? Because we all want something. Sometimes we've thought it through. Sometimes we haven't thought it through. And I, I just recently did a, uh, started a Bible study with a, a group of young men. These are 23-year-olds, 24, that range. Really cool guys. And uh, so when I asked them, what is it that you want? They said, um, I want to have a family. What? I want to own a home. And I want children and a wife. And, and wow, I was expecting big trucks and big cars and a new gun and maybe a new motorcycle or something like that. All cool things, right? But they want something that was pretty profound. And what I find interesting is that this drive that they had is actually pretty scriptural. The Israelites... um, They put it this way, I want a vineyard and a fig tree. And that that, that picture, that metaphor is presented at least three different times specifically. At one point, he writes this in the Kings, and Judah and Israel lived in safety. This is during Solomon's reign. From Dan to Beersheba, every man under his vine and under his fig tree had his own place. In Micah, he says, but they shall sit every man under his vine and under his fig tree, and no one shall make them afraid. And in Zechariah, he says, in that day, declares the Lord of hosts, this is when things are going really well, every one of you will invite his neighbor to come under his vine and under his fig tree. Bring people, it's a wonderful thing when you own a home and you have people over your house and you entertain and you cook some food. We're going to do that today. At my house, you're not invited, by the way, but this little little warning. (laughs) We want something. One of my favorite authors, you hear me quote him all the time, C.S. Lewis, he had a metaphor in his mind. He was looking for an island, a tropical island. He saw this vision when he was young, and everything he did was to get that island. It's a a metaphor. Well, these things can be metaphors for us, too. These are all really good things. But when we act upon seizing that thing, getting that thing, we have to be very careful that we do it God's way. Because if we're not, we run the risk of breaking God's commandments. 
And the thing about it is he wants to give us these islands or these, the, this picture of a vine, a vineyard, and a, and, a, and a fig tree. He wants to give us this. He says, delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Nobody knows our desires better than God, and he wants to give you those. He wants to give me those. He wants to give us these things. He says in one place, I have pleasures forevermore in my right hand. This isn't the no fun league that we're in here, people. When God does it, it almost always goes beyond our happiness. Any of our hopes, any of our desires. This weekend, we had our grandkids over. That's why you're not invited. You do not want to come over. I'll tell you right now, it's bedlam over there. We have five little kids under the age of seven. And it's amazing. When you hear, hey, Grandpa, hey, Grandpa. What? That's me. Kid's talking to me. Hey, can you push me on the swing? You bet. It's something that your heart just fills in a way that you can't possibly imagine. God wants to give us good things. And we won't let him so often. We take matters into our own hands. But, you know, I want to make a comment here. When it comes to good things, I think we need to be really careful the way we talk about the present life. These, these young men, this is what I want. And you know what we, well, first of all, the world, the world says there is no God. There is no God. And when there is no God, there is no purpose. And if we can somehow conjure up some transitory purpose, all right, what, what, what is my purpose in life? Own a lot of stuff. Have the biggest house. Have nice vehicles. Have nice this and nice that. When that becomes the purpose, we get to the end and we're empty. We're hollow. These things give pleasure at the time. You get a nice new car. I like nice new cars. I've never had a brand new one, but I've had an almost new car. And it's, it was a lot of fun. Feels great. It doesn't satisfy in the end. It can't. One of my, those of you who are old like me will remember this man, Merv Griffin. Remember him? He had all those game shows that he was the one who sponsored those like, um, I don't know, like Price is Right and all these shows like that. He was the, the, the guy behind all of that, and he had a talk show, and he was a bazillionaire. And I remember one time someone asked him the question, how much money are you worth? He says, what do you mean? Like, how much cash? You mean tomorrow? Come up with cash? He's like, yeah. And this was back in, the, like, the 90s. $200 million. This guy could get $200 million cash that's how liquid he was. So the guy asked the next normal question, well, why do you keep doing stuff? Why do you want to build a casino? You have all that you have, all that you need. Well, there's always more. That was it. There's always more. 
We never are satisfied. And then as Christians, we can thwart these dreams of these young people by constantly speaking fear. Oh, the interest rates. The interest rates are so high. No one's ever going to be able to own a home. And the economy's going to go bad. And then, then you've got the, the tribulation. That's on the verge. And, and we discourage these young people. I remember just recently, we, we just moved down here. We bought a home. We sold the home. And then we were told, do not buy a home because you got to wait for the interest. I'm not waiting for that. God will supply. And if God calls you to buy a home, you buy a home, and he'll make a way. He's going to make a way for our children, and we need to tell them that. God has desires for us, and they're more than our desires. Do you think God is stuck over a bad economy? No. This morning, we're going to take a look at two men. Two men who had a desire. They had a dream, David and Saul. They both, they didn't ask for it, but they were both anointed king. King of Israel. What an amazing thing. But just being anointed wasn't enough. They had to go out and get it. They had to take it. This morning's text is found in 1 Samuel 24 and 26. I'm going to just read the 24th uh, um, chapter. 26 is very similar. These are two stories, two separate events, where David was being hunted by Saul. See, what Saul had to do was he had to eliminate David in order to maintain or realize his, the fullness of his dream. So let me read uh, 1 Samuel 24. When Saul returned from following the Philistines, he was told, Behold, David is in the wilderness of En Gedi. Then Saul took 3,000 chosen men out of all Israel and went to seek David and his men in front of the wild goats' rocks. And he came to the sheepfolds, by the way, where there was a cave, and Saul went in to relieve himself. Now David and his men were sitting in the innermost parts of the cave, and the men of David said to him, Here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give you your enemy into your hand, and you shall do with him as it seems good to you. Then David arose and stealthily cut off a corner of Saul's robe. And afterwards David's heart struck him because he had cut off a corner of Saul's robe. He said to his men, The Lord forbid that I should do this thing to my Lord, the Lord's anointed, to put out my hand against him, seeing he is the Lord's anointed. So David persuaded his men with these words and did not permit them to attack Saul. And Saul rose up and left the cave and went on his way. Afterward, David arose and went out of the cave and called after Saul, My Lord the king. And when Saul looked behind him, David bowed with his face to the earth and paid homage. And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you into my hand in the cave. Some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out my hand against the Lord's, for he is the Lord's anointed. See, my father, see the corner of your robe in my hand? For by the fact that I cut off the corner of your robe and did not kill you, you may know and see that there is no wrong or treason in my hands. I have not sinned against you, though you hunt me 
you hunt my life to take it. May the Lord judge between you, me and you, and may the Lord avenge me against you, but my hand shall not be against you. As the Proverbs of the ancient says, out of the wickedness come out of the wicked come wickedness, but my hand shall not be against you. After whom has the king of Israel come out? After whom do you pursue? After a dead dog? After a flea? May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence between me and you, and see to it, and plead my cause, and deliver me from your hand. As soon as David had finished speaking these words to Saul, Saul said, Is this your voice, my son David? And David lifted up, Saul lifted up his voice and wept and said to David, You are more righteous than I, for I have repaid good, whereas you have repaid, I have repaid you for evil. And you have declared this day how you have dealt with me, and that you did not kill me when the Lord put me into your hands. For if a man finds his enemy, will he let him go away safe? So may the Lord reward you with good for what you have done to me this day. And now behold, I know that you shall surely be king and that your kingdom of Israel shall be established in your hand. Swear to me, therefore, by the Lord, that you will not cut off my offspring after me and that you will not destroy my name out of, the house, out of my father's house. And David swore this to Saul, and Saul went home. But David and his men went up to the stronghold. And the other story is very similar. This time, David took his spear and a jug of water and that was next to Saul, <clears throat> and he could have killed him, but he didn't. So the first point we have this morning is that David listened to God, not to man. David listened to God, not to man. Saul, on the other hand, he took his cues from the people. In other words, Saul followed the world. Samuel 24, beginning in the ninth verse, he says, And David said to Saul, Why do you listen to the words of men who say, Behold, David seeks your harm? Behold, this day your eyes have seen how the Lord gave you today into my hand in the cave. And some told me to kill you, but I spared you. I said, I will not put out, put out my hand against my Lord, for he is the Lord's anointed. So unlike David... You see, did you notice that? Some told me to kill you. He had people giving him advice. Some said, hey, we should kill him. And he didn't do it. Saul, on the other hand, was listening to the words of men. And in the 26th uh, chapter, the, these, the, these men came to Saul and encouraged him to go after David and hunt David. So we see Saul. This isn't a new thing with Saul. Um, I'm going to read a few verses kind of quickly. You don't have to follow. They'll be up on the screen. Uh, but Saul established a very troubling pattern of this uh, taking his cues from the people. So our first one is in 1 Samuel 12, 11, when Saul, he performed an ill-advised sacrifice. He was waiting for uh, Samuel to show up. Samuel took too long, so he decided to sacrifice uh, a, a task or a job that was not in his uh, kingship, not a part of his responsibilities. It was only for the priests. 
And it says, when I saw the people, this was his excuse, when I saw the people were scattered from me. He saw that the people were fled. So the people are the thing that is uh, um, the, the, the onus behind what, what Samuel, I mean, um, Saul is doing. He panicked, and he offered the sacrifices that only the priests were permitted to do. He was also supposed to, in the 15th chapter, that was the 12th chapter, Samuel 15, God had ordered him to go kill all the Amalekites, kill them all. It's a, it's a, it's a commandment that is difficult for us in our culture to understand. But nonetheless, the Bible tells us that God commanded Saul to kill everything Amalekite, including the animals, everything, wipe them out. But what did Saul do? 15.9, but Saul and the people spared Agag and the best of the sheep and of the oxen and of the fatted calves and the lambs and all that was good. It would not utterly destroy them. So when he was confronted with this in the 15th uh, verse, he said that... Um, they brought them, uh, they, we, we brought them from the Amalekites for the people spared the best. This is what his example was. I mean, his reason. The people did this. When, when, when you know, Samuel said, I'm hearing this bleeding of sheep. What, what's going on? And, and, and Saul's like, well, that's because the people. And you see, Saul is the king. He should have mandated, he should have ordered to completely eliminate, but he was afraid of the people. And he goes on and explains that exactly, that very thing. He says, I have sinned. He's talking to Samuel. I've transgressed the commandments of the Lord in your words. And this is his answer. I guess they're not up there. Because I feared the people and obeyed their voice. And this is what Saul is constantly doing. And this is our challenge just why, that's why uh, David said, why do you listen to the people? That's what David asked him. This is something Saul has done all the way through. He's listening to people. He's you know, licking his finger, putting, which way is the wind blowing? And they, David, on the other hand, he didn't fear the people. In Psalm 3, he writes, I will not be afraid of many thousands of people who have set themselves against me and all around me. Arise, O Lord. See, he goes to the Lord. And save me, O my God, for you strike all my enemies on the cheek. You break the teeth of the wicked. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Your blessed blessing be on your people. And again, in Psalm 18, he says, Thou hast delivered me from the strivings of the people. David didn't let the people dissuade him. In fact, there's a story where he was reigning in Hebron, no, in uh, Ziklag. He was reigning in Ziklag, and they were just a band. He wasn't a king yet, and, uh, but he was the leader of this group, and uh, this group of marauders came and, and took absolutely everything. So he and his men show up, and everything is gone. 
And it says that they were just distressed. There was no spirit left in them. And they were, the fact that people were so upset at David, the people, that he, they, they, they talked about stoning him. They were going to kill him. And the Bible says this, and David strengthened himself in the Lord. That was David's, where, where, where Saul was able to be pushed around by the people. David, even at the point of death, strengthened himself in the Lord. But we get different advice from people. I have done, we're going to just talk about two different types of advice. People, they, we have this jealous or evil advice. There are people who give us advice because they have their own agenda. And they don't like it when you're doing what you're doing or I'm doing what I'm doing. And then we have well-meaning advice that comes from people that should know better and they don't. And it can be very difficult to uh, resist both of these. David, back in, uh, Pastor Dwight talked about it last week, or was it two weeks ago when he talked about David and Goliath, right? When, 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 when David showed up, what did Eliab, his big brother, do? He rebuked him. He says, what are you doing here? David was going because his father had sent him. So his eldest brother, when he heard David speaking to the men, his anger was kindled. This is jealous advice he's going to give him right now. Why do you come down here? I know thy pride. I know the naughtiness of your heart. You came down that you just might see the battle. And David was incredulous. What have I done? Is there not a cause? What are you talking about, Eliab? Is there not a reason? Is there not a cause? And the Bible says this. This is what David did. And he turned away from him toward another. Sometimes, people, we have to turn away. It may be a friend that you've had your whole life. Maybe somebody you used to hang out with all the time, and they're giving you bad advice. Sometimes we have to actually turn away Got young people, young, this is what happens. You know, we start off, our trajectories like this. We're close, we're close, but the further we get out, the further away we become. And it's not fun. We were friends. Yeah, you were. But sometimes we're called to turn away. And, and we know that this was a jealous situation because Eliab, the oldest brother, when Samuel first went down to anoint the king, Eliab comes walking out, and Samuel's response was, surely Jehovah's anointed. This guy was a big man. He looked the part. And God's like, no, I see the inside. Man only sees the outside. And you've got to ask yourself the question, too. Why wasn't David there anyway? He was told to bring all the brothers. Why wasn't David there? Oh, he was watching the sheep. Well, who was watching the sheep when he came? They had servants. I don't think Eliab wanted David there because he was threatened. He was jealous of him. Bible doesn't tell us that, but we can see how he reacted toward him. You know, when I first went to Bible school, I was a 19-year-old man. I had my own business, and I was making money. I grew up really poor, and I, was, I, I used to have four or $500 cash in my pocket all the time. It was the first time I had any money. 
I tell my wife, I could never go like to the snack bar and I would, <laughs> I would start just going to the snack bar even if I didn't want to, just because I could. And that life was turning around. Things were looking great. And then God comes in, I wasn't a Christian, and wins my heart and I want to know more about him. I said, you know what, I'm single. I don't have any responsibilities. I want to go to Bible school. So I, I, I sold my, my, my business and went up to Bible school. And I had family members ream me out. What are you doing? You crazy? Several. And, and to his credit, one of my uncles came to me years later, and he said, he remembered this. He said, I, I was wrong. You were right. You did the right thing. But that took years. C.T. Studd, have you ever heard the famous missionary to Africa, C.T. Studd? His mother actually got their pastor to come to his house to tell him not to go to Africa. He had to resist that. The pastor shows up and says, this isn't, this isn't good. And you know what the, his reason was? Because there are a lot of young men here in England that need to hear what you have to say. And C.T. says, well, there's a lot of pastors that can do that right here in England too, but there aren't many over there in Africa, so I'm going to go over there. He had to resist that. Sometimes it's well-meaning advice. Your second point, a well-meaning advice. In the, in the uh, uh, 24th chapter, 4th verse, he, he, David points out, and the men of David said to him, here is the day of which the Lord said to you, Behold, I will give you your enemies in your hand, and you shall do with him as shall seem good to you. I don't know what Bible he was reading, but God told us that this is, what, this, this is the day. And the thing about it is, it counters God's word, this advice. So we get this conflicting thing, and David has to sort this out. You don't think David wanted to kill Saul right there? Wouldn't that have made his endeavor? He was desiring to be the king. This is what God told him. You were anointed him as a king. He was about 17 years old when he was anointed king, roughly around that time. So here he's been desiring this, and... and in his hands, right there, for the taking. Must have been difficult. There will be friends and coworkers more than willing to give you advice. I remember when my stepfather died, my mom, this was many years ago, She's now single, Christian woman, godly woman, probably over 25 years, 26, something like that, years ago. And a Christian person gave her some advice. You know, you can go out, Jeannie, don't get married right away, you know, and, and, and basically implied that she could just go out and have sex if she wanted to. And my mother's like, are you out of your mind? I'm a Christian, and this was the response from this other Christian woman. Jeannie, it's the 90s. What's wrong with you? It's the 90s. Well-meaning advice, horrible advice. My mother, to her credit, no. And you know what? This prince came along, and she's been married for 27, 26, 27 years to this 
amazing guy that would never have happened if she had followed that advice. It seemed expedient at the time, I'm sure. Lonely, alone. Dumb advice. Sometimes that's the most difficult of all. But David, he turned the tables on his co-workers. Seventh verse says, David persuaded his men with these words. He didn't let them persuade him. He took the offensive. He went and he persuaded them. And we need to be armed with God's word so that we can persuade. David did the persuading. He wasn't persuaded by them. Saul, he was continuously persuaded by those around him. This is great. I can be king without any worry about this other guy. And the Bible tells us that he knew that David was to be king because Saul himself admitted it. I've got a couple more points I want to get through. I'll just kind of go a little more quickly here. David kept God's commandments. And this is what he did. He was not going to lift his hand to Jehovah's anointed. He wasn't going to take matters into his own hands. And when he did break the commandments, we can read about it in Psalm 51, right? Broken and contrite spirit. I'm sorry. Saul, on the other hand, he's like, didn't I keep God's commandments? And Samuel's like, no, you didn't. Well, I would have, but the people. I remember when I was a young man, I was, that's what we do. We make excuses, right? We do sin. I remember this old guy looked at me and says, you know what? I can't stand. <laughs> the old days would. They would say stuff straight to you. I hate crybabies and alibi experts. Wah, wah, wah. We have an excuse. This is what happened. Whatever. You broke God's commandment. You need to get down on your face, and you need to say, I'm sorry. And then believe that Jesus Christ has forgiven you. I thank God for that ministry. I don't want to be a crybaby and alibi expert. I've never forgotten it. All Saul was worried about is the people. He says to Samuel, honor me. Just honor me in front of the people. That's all he cared about. Let's just pretend that everything's good so that everyone thinks it's good. So I'm gonna, let's just pretend. Is that what we do? Do we pretend? Do we come in here and we dress up nice and we, we look like we're ready and I'm following Jesus and we're not? We're taking matters in our own hands all the time. Well, God didn't really mean that, did he? We just take the best of the animals, just the best of those things. We'll, we'll slaughter all the yucky stuff. That's what they did. All the deformed animals, all that, but the good ones we'll keep. God said, no, I want all of it. Get rid of all of it. You don't think I have enough sheep? You don't think I could supply enough gold and sheep and whatever it is that you think you're getting out of this? This is what I want. I have so much more to give you. This is nothing. 
Lewis talked about the fact that we're satisfied to play in a mud puddle when God has a vacation at the shore in store for us. But we don't trust him. We have to trust him. Part of the way David trusted was that he understood. I'm skipping down now to my fourth point. I'm skipping the third one back there. David understood that vengeance belonged to the Lord. Vengeance belongs to God. David clearly states this in the 12th verse of 24th chapter. May the Lord judge between me and you. May the Lord avenge me against you. But my hand shall not be against you. I'm not doing this. And oh, how we're tempted. Somebody wrongs us. Is he running around like he's an animal? Just Saul is making his life miserable. And we have those people in our lives. God sees it, people. God is watching. He is here. He is in your office. He is at your work. He is at your home. He sees all of it. We can trust him that he will deal with things as they need to be dealt with. May the Lord do the judging. May the Lord do the avenging. But I'm not going to be a part of that. He reiterates it in the 15th verse. May the Lord therefore judge and give sentence and deliver me from your hand. He was clear about it. I need deliverance from your hand. There's no question about it. And we need deliverance sometimes. People do things to us. You know when we're bitter? I like this little proverb I heard. Bitterness is like drinking poison and waiting for somebody else to die. We, we're bitter and we, we want to take things in our own hands, but we forget the fact that we are wretched sinners ourselves. God could take us by the throat and we're all indignant at this person when we have enough on our plate ourselves. I'm not pretending that this person isn't doing bad stuff to me, but they're God's responsibility, not mine. And you know what? We all have the capacity to hurt somebody, and we've all done it. You've been that person who's hurt somebody, and they've had to forgive you. I know I have. Get all high and mighty. But the end, God will avenge and or restore. That's the, what I'm hoping for often. God, restore this relationship. This is broken. This doesn't give you glory. This doesn't honor you. Restore it. If not, avenge it. <laughs> Love one another from the heart. 
Peter, um, Peter tells us. Love one another. He actually says earnestly from the heart. Not just, oh, I love you, I love you. No, there's something earnest about it. Jesus says, you want to be like your father in heaven? Do you want to be like daddy? Here's how you do it. I'm going to tell you, it's a real secret. Love your enemies. Not only that, do good to them who despitefully use you. Because your father, he causes it to rain on the just and the unjust alike. When you do this, therefore, you will be like your father is who is in heaven. What an amazing thing. You're acting like God when you're good to people who don't deserve it. My last point is that David waited. He waited for God. That verse I read earlier, it's found in the Psalm 37. See, David had to wait 15 years from the time he was anointed to the time he became king in Hebron. Even then, he wasn't king of all Israel. 15 years, another seven years after that, and he became, finally became king. 22 years he waited. We get really impatient. We can hardly wait 22 minutes. And our feet start shuffling and we start getting all uptight. What are we going to do? What if I go without? What if God doesn't provide? Here's the secret. Get your eyes on this if you would. Psalm 37. Fret not yourself because of evildoers. Be not envious of wrongdoers, for they will soon fade like the grass and wither like the green herb. Trust in the Lord. Do good. Dwell in the land. Yeah, engage the land. Run after those dreams, young people. See, we're, 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 we're our age, Doug and I, we're, we're kind of letting, it's, it's, it's youth. You don't say young people anymore. I do it, so I'm going to do it. Young people, dream big. Engage fully. But let God be the one that marks your way. Here's what, this is how you do it, though. All right? Delight, fourth verse, delight yourself in the Lord. Delight in him. He's delightful, people. Delight in him, and he will give you the desires of your heart. What, what, he goes on, fifth verse, commit your way to the Lord. David did that. Saul didn't. Saul was committed to being king. David was committed to the Lord, and he ended up being the king. Commit your way to the Lord, trust in him, and he will act. He's going to do it. And it, the, I'm not going to read the rest of it. It's full of all of that type of exhortation. Commit. you got to commit. It can't be on the fence. How long go you limping between the two sides? That's what Joshua said. God says in Revelation, he says, I wish that you were hot or cold. 
but you're not. You're lukewarm, and you make me sick. That's not my word. Those aren't my words. Those are God's. You make me want to vomit. I will spew you. I will vomit you out of my mouth. I hate that mediocre thing. Commit. If God be, if, if the Lord be God, serve him. If Baal be God, serve him. That's what Elijah said. Commit your way to the Lord. Trust him and he will act. I'm telling you, he is delightful people. And I can tell you my testimony. I have everything I have ever wanted. I'm not talking about things. Wouldn't mind a new car right about now. I have everything I have ever wanted. So take my word for it. Take David's word for it. Let's delight in him. Thank you for listening to this latest sermon. For more Prof Church, check out our YouTube at Prof Church Lancaster. Follow us on Facebook at Prof Church Life, on Instagram at Prof Church, or visit our website, profchurch.net. Thank you for listening, and be sure to make it a great day.